Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. You know, there's, there's some really bad advice that the world has given us. And most of you will have heard it, probably all of you will have heard it. But it goes like this, if you're not sure what to do, follow your heart. That's stupid advice. Worst advice anyone could ever be given. If you're not sure what to do, follow your heart. We're called to follow Jesus and his word, not what seems right in our own heart. And the reason it's foolish advice is because Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Why on earth would we follow it? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. And I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Margot, my wife, has a bucket list. And I've come to a place where I now realise that her bucket list is my bucket list as well. Because as she ticks them off, she tells me this is the next thing we are going to be doing. Uh, we're actually off to Israel early next year, something on her bucket list. I wasn't prepared to do that. I wasn't ready to do that. Uh, she spoke about it again after about 47 times in July of last or this year, so only a couple of months ago. And I just said, uh, not yet, but the tickets are booked and we are going the end of February to Israel. Never been to Israel. I don't particularly want to go. But I, as she says, when I get back, I tell everyone how great it was and what a wonderful idea I had to go. But one of the things on her bucket list is to walk the Kokoda track. Now, for her, it would be very doable. I walked yesterday with my seven-year-old grandson on the, uh, the stretch, the part of the, uh, the bather's way from Merriweather Baths to um, Streslecky Hill. And uh, it's about three kilometres up and three kilometres back. And uh, when I do exercise, I try to do that walk. But yesterday, because I hadn't done much exercise lately, I, by the time I started to climb... Uh, Memorial Drive and then turned up onto Anzac Walk and up those steps across to the mountain. By the time I got to the top, I thought I was going to need a paramedic. My heart was racing. I could hardly catch my breath. And I got to the top and I stood there and I, I thought about the Kokoda Track. <laughs> if I was to do the Kokoda Track, I would have to prepare for it. I mean, really prepare for it. I would have to start out now and get ready to do it in about five years' time. You know, there is an alarming lack of physical fitness in our community today, and I'm one of those statistics. An alarming lack, you sometimes think you're fit till you start climbing stairs or you start doing things that you don't normally do, and then you kind of realise just how out of condition you actually have become. Obesity is a huge problem in our nation, and uh, I, I don't know where we're ranked exactly, but we're pretty close to the top alongside of America. It's one of the most obese nations in the world and one of the most unfit 
You know, even though there's a lot of fitness ads and a lot of people into fitness today, uh, it's still a small majority or a small minority rather, I'm sorry, who are actually physically fit. But I think there's a more serious problem and I'm not in any way downgrading the seriousness of the lack of fitness in our society, but I think there's also a far more serious issue with the lack of emotional fitness in our world today. You know, road rage is becoming an extreme issue. I don't think you can turn the news on and not have one news episode cover something. Someone's caught on a mobile phone and some of it is horrendous. The things that people do when in a moment of frustration, in a moment of anger, in a moment of, of things just not going the way they wanted to on the road, something snaps inside of them and, and you know, people are now going to jail for, for sudden decisions out of a moment of frustration. It's a lack of emotional maturity. I, I was going through the prayer cards with our staff on Tuesday from last Sunday where we had the prayer and praise segment in our service. And I, as I just went through the prayer cards, I thought there's so much pain. And, and I don't think it's just in, in the church. There's so much pain out there in the world. There's so much frustration. There's so much anxiety. There's so much depression. There's so much of a, of a blanket of, of darkness that comes over people's hearts and minds that holds them down and holds them back from living in the fullness of the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. You know, when you, you're physically fit, you can achieve more. When you're physically fit, you can go the distance, you can, you can keep at it, you can stay the course. But even so, when you are emotionally fit, you'll actually stand a greater chance of fulfilling your divine destiny because of the amount of frustration there is in the world today, that is in the church as well today, the amount of anger and, and jealousy and resent that's probably my whiskers. <laughs> anger and resentment and jealousy and all kinds of stuff in our world today. If you're not emotionally fit, you'll become offended in a heartbeat. If you're not emotionally fit, you'll be wounded faster than you should be. You'll become hurt more readily than you, you should do. And, and you know, there's a lot of people today who are not in church who once were because they've become offended with somebody in the church or they've been wounded or hurt or somebody has said something to them. And, you know, if the truth be known, what they've been seething over for years, the person who allegedly did it probably isn't even aware they did it. But people are, are cutting off their nose to spite their face and they're, they're missing the fullness of everything God has, has destined for their life because of a lack of emotional fitness in our world. You know, our, our motto, gather, grow, go, it's becoming our vision and we're going to be talking about that in due course, but gather, grow, go. We're all called to gather, and this is a gathering. But you won't necessarily grow if this is all you do. If all you do is come and sit and hear a sermon, you'll get an element of growth. You'll receive an element of input and encouragement. Um, but if you're not connected to the body and you just arrive, hear the sermon and leave, and, and that's all your involvement is, all you're doing is gathering, you're not really growing 
in that level of, of spiritual and emotional fitness that Jesus is calling us to grow in. And I don't believe we'll ever fulfill the destiny that the cross has purchased for us to the degree that he designed and wants for us to have. But to grow is not also just about growing in my knowledge of the Bible, being able to quote scripture verses, memorizing the Bible, or knowing where to find certain passages. That's, that, again, is an element of growth, but it's not the growth that Jesus is calling us to. The growth he's calling us to is that relational growth. It's that emotional maturity. It's that ability to be able to, to roll with the punches of life, the ability to be able to, to handle it when people's shortcomings start to affect you and start to be imposed upon you, the ability of being able to turn the other cheek and, and not become hurt and offended, but to be flexible. That's why Paul said, bear with one another's faults. That's the kind of emotional maturity he's calling us to. And that's the kind of emotional maturity that will help us go the distance. In Genesis chapter 3, when God announced the curse that sin was ushering in upon the human race, when he announced the curse, I, I believe with all my heart, his heart was breaking. Because you know, there was no anger in him. There was no frustration. When Adam fell, he came looking with the heart of a father, Adam, where are you? I don't believe there was any kind of anger or, or brutality in the heart of God, but there was a brokenness because he, he, more than anyone, understood and knew what those actions that took place in the Garden of Eden was about to produce. The curse that was coming in upon the world that God could not stop from happening because our actions brought a reaction and that reaction was the curse. And in essence, when he announced that curse, he said, from now on, and I believe with tears in his eyes, from now on, life is going to be hard. You know, you've, you've enjoyed paradise. You've enjoyed being able to take of the abundance of every good thing here in this garden and, and you've not had to do very much to tend it and keep it because it's all been blessed. It's all had the, the favour of God all over it. But now I've got to back away and as I back away, life's going to get hard. From now on, relationships are going to be marked by misunderstanding. They're going to be marked by insecurity. They're going to be marked by resentment. They're going to be marked by conflict and suspicion and, and pain. And with a tear in his eyes, he said, from here on in, you will live life facing disappointment with friendships. You're going to go through some tough times in marriage, in family. You're going to go through some difficult times in the workplace. You're going to find that you've got to watch your back now. You never had to do that before, but now you're going to have to watch your back because this betrayal is going to come upon the earth. People are going to be self-centred, self-seeking. And, and if you've got what they want, if you're not careful, they're going to take it from you and they'll take it from you violently. It's, it's not going to be a good day. And, and I think Adam and Eve probably just did not quite appreciate the fullness of what was about to come upon their world. But of course, it all manifested so fast with Cain and Abel. Genuine openness and intimacy from here on in will be blocked by self-protection. Self-centeredness, manipulation, power struggles. That's what life is going to bring. Loneliness and depression will become a commonplace ailment in society. It will happen everywhere and it will only ever increase. That's why we need Jesus so much. 
Because He came to get us out of that muck. He came to redeem us from the curse that sin brought upon humanity. He came to break the power of sin over our life. He came to lift the blankets of depression and anxiety and pain and suffering and all the stuff that the curse has brought. He came to lift us out of that so we could live above it, not below it. We need Jesus so much. You know, productivity, he said, will now be marked by frustration. It'll be marked by setbacks. I I believe the drought the farmers are facing today is just all part of the curse. Because we wouldn't have had any of that had the curse not come in upon the human race. The ground, he said, will produce thorns and thistles. You you know, you might say, oh, it doesn't affect me. I'm not a farmer. What that's talking about, the ground, is just simply making it in life. It's going to get hard. Just making ends meet, just hoping you can keep your job, just hoping you can get a job, just hoping that you know things don't change in the economy that affects my comfort that I've got right now, but things can change in a heartbeat. It's all part of the curse. Making it in life is going to be very, very difficult. There'll be hindrances of all kind and a constant shadow watching us and hanging over us. You know, in such an environment, devoid of the life of God, Everybody suffers from one degree to another. We develop phobias and fears and personality disorders. We succumb to all kinds of emotional issues like insecurity and rejection. Living life trying to prove that we are worthwhile, trying to prove to somebody else that we are of value, trying to prove to somebody else that we are okay. When deep down inside there's something awfully broken and out of alignment. Then on top of the curse, God comes in and announces the law. And the law, in essence, is him laying down his expectations in the finest of details. He said, you're going to have all this tough road ahead of you. You're going to struggle with with, uh, trying to make ends meet. You're going to struggle with suspicion. You'll have to sleep with one eye open. But on top of that, if you want to stay in my good books and if you want my blessing in your life, you need to follow these set of rules to the finest of detail. And if anybody has ever studied the law or ever read through the, uh, uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that Leviticus particularly, you know you can't even sneeze without doing it a certain way. But he's basically adding to the, the load of, you know, this is the, the curse of sin. This is, this is, you know, and why did God do that? Why, why, why did God bring the law on top of the curse? We see the Bible tells us it was simply to drive us to our knees. We never had any hope of getting right with God by keeping the law. Some people think, well, if I keep the law in the finest of detail, God's blessing will come. But you see, nobody can do it. And God knows nobody can do it. None of us can do it. It's to say, you sneeze wrong. You've only got to do it once. It's not a matter of, oh, well, I sneezed wrong. I'll make sure I don't do that again. It's too late. Because if you sneeze wrong, you're stoned. You know what I'm saying? So it's like God put this incredible burden, but the only reason, according to the book of Galatians, is to drive us to our knees and recognise our our need of a saviour so that he can come back into our life and start to unroot or or uproot and outroot the, the muck that the curse has brought into our inner world. You know, we preach that a, a relationship with Jesus is a solution to the instability of life. And I believe it is. But you know, it's a sad thing when you realise that 
there is as much divorce in the church today as what there is in the world. There's as much extramarital affairs in the church today as what there is in the world. It's a fact of life. It happens. There's not a huge difference often between those that are in the house and those that are outside of the house. You know, the whole Royal Commission into pedophilia in the church is sickening to the stomach. It happens as much inside the house as it does outside the house. Incest, it's, it's a shocking list of stuff, physical and emotional abuse inside the house as much as there is outside the house. Corruption, dishonesty, conniving, coercion, scheming, slander, scandal, bondage, brokenness, oppression. There's as much inside the house as there is outside the house and it shouldn't be the case. I think, I think the reason it is the case is that many of us have embraced a a theology that believes salvation is simply a, an afterlife insurance policy. That if I just accept Jesus, I know when I die I'll go to heaven, but between now and then I'll just control my own life, I'll do things the way I think things should be done, I'll just be at the helm of my own boat, uh, you know, but nothing really changes. We just know, well, yeah, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I went to church and, and you know, I've got my name on that church roll. And as Arden said one day, and I've used this many times in funeral services, you know, you think you've got your name on a church roll, you'll be going to heaven. You might as well have it on a sausage roll. But I think we've embraced the theology that, that simply says if I pray a sinner's prayer uh, and, and I go to heaven, not much else is going to change. You know, at Christian funeral services, you often hear things like they struggled so much in life, but now they're finally at peace. They're, they're finally now in the presence of Jesus. They're finally now over all that struggle and they're now resting in the arms of the Saviour. Or, or you'll, you'll hear things like depression was a constant battle, but now they're in the presence of joy unspeakable and full of glory. And, and I believe that. I believe that. When a Christian dies, we step straight into the presence of God. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I, I don't believe it should be a case of they struggled all through life, but now they're no longer struggling. That's saying salvation is an afterlife experience. But I believe Jesus came for the here and now. He came now to break the bondages. He came now to change the inner turmoil that's in our life. He came to do it now. He came to get down inside of our heart now. He came to get the muck out of us now, to take the, the spiritual cancers out of us that the curse has brought upon us and constant behavioural patterns has brought upon us. He's come to change us now. Paul said the peace of God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds now. We think, well, I haven't had peace all my life, but when I die, I'll be in the presence of peace because he's the Prince of Peace. Yeah, you will, but you're in his presence now. So shouldn't we be experiencing it now? Shouldn't we be allowing his power into us now? You know, perhaps there's been an embracing of Jesus in a very superficial way, and that's why there's so many of the problems brought into the church that never get dealt with in the church, but we just let them lay under the surface and we keep going the same road, the same journey, doing the same things, making the same mistakes, messing up all over again, but now we've just got Jesus with us. I think it's a superficial thing. Perhaps it's been the hope of a quick fix. 
You know, I've seen that happen. We, and, and look, I, I do believe Jesus, you invite Jesus into your life. You've, you've started a journey of, of excitement and blessing and His power and His presence in your life. But you're also embarking upon a journey that's going to be, be challenging. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many find that one and they walk on it because it's an easy road, but it doesn't lead to life. Narrow and difficult and winding is the... So yet there are challenges with it. But when you've got Jesus with you, you know, it's, I've been walking with Jesus 38 years now. It's the best life I've ever had. And I've never backslidden once. Why? Because I, I've, I've discovered something, someone that makes a difference in my life, that when the challenges come and when the pains come, and, I, and again, I, I just say this to glorify God, the last seven years have been hell on earth for Margot and I, but we're still standing. And the reason we're still standing is because of who's been with us. In the middle of the storm, we've found peace. In the middle of the, the challenges, we've found strength that has enabled us to get up and keep moving forward. That's what Jesus does in our life. You know, when I wholeheartedly embrace the Saviour and His in-depth surgical work down in my soul, down in my heart, I will continue to follow. And He will... He will Rip the stuff out of me that he doesn't want there. David said, search me, know me, try me. See, Lord, if there is any wicked way in me and then lead me. You see, that's the surgery of the Saviour. But if I don't allow him into my soul, if I don't allow him beneath the surface of my life and I just am a gatherer and not a grower, if I'm just a gatherer and I just hang around and I don't allow him to change me, but I just go, well, I know I'm going to heaven when I die and I think that'll be good. No, there's so much more for you to have. And if you could just let him root the stuff out of your life that he does not want there, you will find freedom that you never thought possible. You'll find joy that you never thought possible. You'll find peace that you never thought possible if you just let him in. But if we don't let him in, you know, we've all got baggage. We've all got stuff. We've all been hurt. We've all been wounded. We've all had things happen to us. We've all, all been smashed up by life in some way or to some degree or another. Every single one of us. And he, he wants to, to, to get a hold of that and take us and rebuild us and remould us. He wants to reshape us. He wants to put us back together. Does that make sense? Jesus wants to get inside of our life. And if I don't allow him to do that, I'll do one of three things. And it's exactly the same as what the world does. Christians do the same thing. Whether you've got Jesus or not, we do the same thing. If we don't allow him to take control of our heart and our emotions and our inner world, we'll do one of uh, two, uh, three things. The first thing we'll do is we'll run. This is my turn to point. I'm a runner. We'll either run, we'll fight, or we'll hide. I'm a runner. I run from pain. I hate pain. Kylie talked about her childbirth experience. I didn't find it painful at all. I was there. Margot had a few little groans every now and then, but uh, I found it okay. But I do, I hate pain. You know, even the twinkling of a headache, I'm in the cupboard looking for a Panadol. I do, I hate pain. And many of us who run, run by burying our our baggage. We run by burying our weaknesses and our pain and we do it often by some form of addictive behaviour. I'm a comfort eater. I've now got type 2 diabetes. 
was diagnosed with it two and a half years ago. And, and it's been diet that's been the cause. It's been, it's been self-inflicted. It's supposed to have been uh, managed by diet over the last two and a half years, but I didn't do so well at that because I'm a comfort eater. I'm now on medication. You know, and I think we've, we've fueled this comfort eating thing in our society. You pick your kids up from school and they've had a bad day. So what do we do? Come on, we'll take you down to McDonald's. So we, we train in, in the brain that if I've had a bad day, the way to fix the bad day is to go and have a hamburger or three. But we do, don't we? Let's go and get an ice cream and you'll feel better. I did that with my kids. But, you know, I, I, I've got this thing now. If I'm feeling flat or low, I go to the fridge. I'm a runner. I'm looking to anaesthetise the pain. Other people run into um, pornography. They, they, you know, they, the internet now, it's a scary thing what's available and what's accessible. When I, when I was a kid, you had to go to the local newsagent and try and look like you were 18. <laughs> but today, you don't have that. It's scary what kids can access today without supervision. And it can develop this sense of, you know, like it releases endorphins in the brain. It's a feel-good chemical in the brain that when I'm feeling low or I'm feeling discouraged or I'm feeling flat, that's my go-to to feel a little better about myself. You know, it could be illicit drugs. It could be over-the-counter drugs where, you know, we begin to self-medicate. I fell into that trap as well in the middle of my journey. You know, as much as I found Jesus in the middle of it, I had Jesus and drugs too. Because we're all as weak as everybody else. We're all as susceptible as everybody else. Excessive spending. You know, we can be a right, you know, I feel really low. I think I'll go and buy a new dress. That's why Margot's cupboard. She has a she recycle boutique and she tells me she's brought 500 dresses in and there's not a dint made in that cupboard. That's why I've got a little cupboard in the spare room of that much for two pairs of jeans, four shirts and a pair of shoes. She's a runner too. Runs every morning, five o'clock. But if we don't let Jesus deal with the inner stuff, if we don't stop and, and just let him inside of us and bring some emotional maturity, if you're a runner, you'll just keep doing this. And, and after a while, it'll, it'll bring a price. My price is the type 2 diabetes. My price now is I've got a box of tablets in the cupboard that I'm supposed to take every night. How long will it be before I've got to inject insulin in my stomach? Who knows? It's, it's like, but you see, that's, that's been the result of being a runner to what makes me feel good, what will anaesthetise the pain instead of running to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this is a struggle I'm having. Can you just guide me through this? Because he's the shepherd of my soul. He wants to take me to deeper waters. He wants to take me to greener pastures. He wants to take me to those places where he can restore my heart, my soul, my inner world with emotional maturity. Second thing we'll do is we'll fight. Others of us in the journey through the challenging life that the curse has brought, we become angry, we become bitter, we become violent because life is not going our way. So we develop battle strategies. We, we fight. We become manipulators of people. And I, I can smell manipulation a mile off. Don't ever try and manipulate me. I, I will smell it a mile off. I'm like a bloodhound with manipulation. I, I hate it. 
but it's a, it's a battle strategy for somebody who's struggling with life. They don't feel things have worked out and they want something and they can't get what they want. So they start to manipulate people around them to get what it is they want. They become underminers, tantrum throwers, bullies, standovers, silent sulkers, attention seekers. You know, as I said, there's a load of ex-church members who are angry at God because God hasn't done what they wanted him to do. Come to Jesus, we've said. My marriage is fine. I've seen this so many times, folks. My marriage has fallen apart. Jesus can get it back together. And he can, but he might not. Because he doesn't force his will upon people. He doesn't control people. And it takes two in a marriage reconciliation to cooperate. And it, it's okay, you know, but people I've seen over the years come back to Jesus and it's a, it's a conditional thing. I'll surrender to your Lordship if. You put my marriage back together. And then after a few years of praying and praying and praying and not much happening, they end up, they just, they just walk away, offended. Third thing we'll do is we'll hide. Others of us cover up our weaknesses, how damaged we are, our broken, wounded, and how frail we are. We become masters at denial, masters of the mask. We bunker in and we barricade ourselves behind positions of prominence and status. Exaggerated reports, presenting ourselves as more together than we really are. We embellish things because we want people to think we're important. We want people to think we're somebody special. We want people to think we are successful, but underneath we're falling apart. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's another strategy to deal with the curse and the pain that comes, you know, high energy lifestyles. How many people do you know bury themselves in work trying to get away from a, a broken relationship at home? Busy, 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 staying focused on it. It'll just keep my mind off it. And it's just, it's like a, it's a hiding behind reality rather than facing the issue. I have a problem and I need to deal with it. And the Bible says, confess your sin one to another and then pray for one another that you might be healed. You know, what we do is we say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Pray for one another so you might be healed. But we miss the sentence in the middle. It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess your sin one to another so that you might be healed. See, there's that sense of we've got to be open. We've got to open our heart, not to everybody. You don't air your dirty laundry to the world. But you've got to find people in your life that you can sit down and be absolutely open and honest with. Been another one of the keys that has got us through these storms over recent years. It's been finding the right people I can sit with and vomit all over. God doesn't mind you vomiting. He doesn't mind you getting angry. He doesn't mind you jumping up and down in the right context and in the right place. And then he begins to put you back together. You know, I, I want to make a statement. And if this is all you get today, hopefully it'll help you. Humanity without Jesus at the centre, is demonic in nature. Humanity without Jesus at the centre is demonic in nature. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to predominantly the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious people, the people who supposedly knew God, the people who supposedly represented God, the people who were in church all the time, the people who went through the liturgies of of. Judaism and, and you know what, what we now see as the church, if you like. It's, it's the people who, who talk about God, pray openly in the marketplaces. These are, they were us in many ways. 
And he's talking to these people and he says an astounding thing. He said, you lot are like your father, the devil. You are like children of the devil. You love and do the same things he does. And it's like, these are the church people. And the, and the, the issue was God was not in the centre of their life. God was not in the centre of their activities. They were going through the motions of, of their religion. They were going through the motions of attending the synagogue. They were, they were just doing it, but not really walking with Him. And unless we're walking with Him, we're never going to experience the life that only He can bring. Is this okay? We've got to have Him in our life. I don't want to be a churchgoer. You lot are too hard. You're too hard to walk with. And just as a churchgoer, I'm stuck with just you. But when I've got you and Jesus, it's easy to handle. I don't want to just be a churchgoer. It's boring. But when Jesus is in my life and Jesus is walking with me and Jesus is doing his surgical work down inside of me and changing me, sometimes stretching me, sometimes bending me, sometimes pulling me so far, I think I don't think he can pull me much further. But when he's doing all that, I know that his work is being outworked inside of me and that the work he began in me, he will bring to perfection. Humanity without Christ at the centre is demonic in nature. If I face the issues of life without bringing Christ into the centre of my problems, then I am living an atheistic lifestyle as a Christian. If I face the issues of life without bringing Jesus into the centre of my life and allowing him to speak into my life and allowing him to take control of my life and be the shepherd of my life, if I don't do that, then I am living an atheistic lifestyle regardless of my doctrinal beliefs. I've said this before, you know, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Or do you just have a theology that says you do? It's a big difference. You, you know, I, I don't want to, like, like I went years in my Christian walk where, yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus. I invited him into my heart. What was the last thing he said to you? Oh, I don't know. I've never heard his voice. Well, what kind of relationship is that? Well, I do have a relationship because the Bible says I have a relationship. You know, I've got a marriage certificate at home that says I have a relationship with my wife. I can't remember the last time I saw her. Well, the last time I held a conversation, what kind of relationship is that? It's a theology. I want a real, living, thriving relationship with my Saviour. Jeremiah 17, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts, examine secret motives. How bad is the human heart? But let me tell you, God wants to change your heart. He wants to change your heart. And if he can change your heart, he'll change your world. Because if he changes you on the inside, he will change what's happening on the outside. Because it'll come from the inside out. And what changes around you is determined by what's happening within you. And a lot of the changes is an attitudinal thing. The circumstances mightn't change, but the way you see them will. And you can look at the same set of circumstances with a totally different attitude, and you'll feel totally different. You'll feel totally different. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would continue to draw us into that place of change, into that place of restoration, into that place of inner healing. Lord, I pray you grow us all, that we become mature emotionally, 
Lord, that we're not doing things to gain favour. We're not doing things to become important. We're simply doing things to serve you. Because our relationship with you is what rebuilds us. Our relationship with you is what gives us value. Our relationship with you is what, what gives us that sense of, of I, I am my father's child. Just while your eyes are closed this morning, your head's about, if you can just minimise any moving around. You're in the meeting today and you're sitting there, you might be thinking, heck, I think I've just got a theology that I've got a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're in the meeting and you've never invited Jesus into your life. Let me tell you something. He's an absolute master at rebuilding broken people. He's a master at taking the worst of the worst, the smashed up, the messed up, the screwed up, the wounded, and at bringing his healing touch, his restorative power. He's a master at it. I made a decision 38 years ago to surrender my life to him. And he's remolded me and reshaped me. I, I shudder to think where I would be today had I not made that decision back then. And I found a lifestyle that has not been without its challenges, but I've found a lifestyle that's had added strength and power and stability and sustainability that nothing I've ever come across since has matched. If you're here today and you want that relationship with Jesus, you want that authentic connection with heaven, not just theology, not just church attendance, but relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and that's you, I want you to slip your hand up right where you're sitting. I'll see it. God will see it. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just, I want to see your hand and uh, we're going to get something to you at the end of the service for you to take home in the privacy of your own home, for you to read and just process and think through. And if you feel we can help you with that journey, then we're going to be there for you. But today, I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to do anything. But if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. Thank you. I see your hand. Someone else. Father, I thank you today for this man who's just said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take my life in the palm of your hand and I want you to reshape it, rebuild it. Make me the man you created me to be. I, I pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come upon him and anyone else that perhaps was just uncertain or a little timid or a little nervous to raise their hand. I, I pray, Lord, you'd continue to draw them to yourself. But let's pray this prayer together, Lord Jesus. I come to you this morning to surrender my life. I confess that I'm a sinner, lost and under the curse. But you died on that cross and you broke the curse. And I receive you now as my Saviour. And I crown you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.